Just as we adore God, we show the same respect to the Son of God, whom He has appointed and anointed as King of kings and Lord of lords. Hello and welcome to the Netcast Podcast, where you will find Bible studies that follow an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and my prayer is that you are encouraged by these lessons from the Word of God. Thank you for listening to today's message. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 3 of the Netcast Podcast. Two episodes ago, we started a series from the Psalms called Psalms of Life. The message was titled, The Blessed Life. I didn't mention at the time that this study series was born out of my reading and taking notes over the last few years from a small pocket Bible. I am still working through the final part of the Psalms, but it has been a very enjoyable exploration of these ancient songs and prayers of God's people, Israel. In the first episode, we referenced part of our text for today in Psalm 2 when looking at some of the Beatitudes that are found in the Psalms. If you have a Bible and are following along, please turn to the second Psalm now. Notice the last part of the last verse. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. In who? We could have titled this message Part 2 of the Blessed Life, but instead I have titled the message Refuge and the King of Kings, because that is the focus here. Some people believe Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are one continuous reading starting and ending with a blessing, but we will view this as a separate psalm with a similar blessing. While the psalms are all separate pieces of music, they do tend to have familiar messages and themes. The psalm that we are going to look at today is a coronation psalm where one is anointed or chosen, crowned as a king and a son, and is given supreme rule to judge and destroy any and all who oppose their reign or authority. Those that come under their rule are blessed and find refuge. Psalm 2 was written by King David, although it had nothing to do with what was occurring in his own life personally or even during his lifespan. But it is a messianic psalm looking to the coming of Jesus the Christ who is the anointed Messiah and King and Son of God. The reason we believe it was written by King David does not come from the psalm wherein most have a heading telling us who the author is. We believe this was written by David because of what is plainly stated by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4, 25 and 26, where it reads, "...who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the heathens rage and the people imagine vain things?" This is a direct quote from Psalm 2, verse 1 and notice it is attributed to David. What is important for us to document is the context where this psalm is quoted in fulfillment in Acts 4. In Acts 4, the followers of Jesus were out proclaiming the gospel and boldly declaring the resurrected and reigning Christ. They were causing the leaders and rulers to panic because they were doing notable miracles, which gave testimony to the word that they were preaching, and many people believed in the Lord. This caused the local authorities to threaten them to no longer speak in the name of Jesus, and they prayed to God and asked Him to take note of the threats against them and continued spreading the gospel. The church in the face of these trials was growing and even multiplying and thriving because Jesus is on His throne and His disciples were taking refuge in Him. If the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, neither would these earthly rulers issuing vain threats. This is going to be a powerful message for us to apply to our lives today, since we are seeing similar trials in the Christian community all over the world. There are two other places in the New Testament where this specific psalm is quoted to add context and meaning for our study together. 
In Acts 13, 32 and 33, Paul states, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Then in Hebrews chapter 1, the latter part of verse 3 down through verse 5, it says, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now let's turn our attention to the text in Psalm 2 and study this passage in greater detail. We are going to hear five different voices in this psalm that will help us to comprehend the message within its lyrics. We will hear the voice of the psalmist David, the voice of the rulers of the earth, the voice of God the Father, then Christ the Son, who is the King in heaven, and then finally the Holy Spirit at the conclusion. Listen carefully as we read. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now let's begin with the voice of the psalmist David in verse 1, and he begins with this question, Why are the nations in an uproar? Anyone that has ever tried to live for God has had to ask this question. The actual question being presented is, Why are the nations making so much noise as in a raging, like a mob, yelling angrily as in a tumult, ranting and raving as in an agitated assembly? The word nation here is also interpreted heathen in some versions. These are a rebellious people, or at least those that are outside from God's own people. One perspective to consider is to read this as someone outside of the commonwealth of Israel looking in on God's people, or as a sinner looking in on the saints. And this will help you to see both sides and make the text more applicable to your life. Now take note, look at the current events in the news, and this question is just as pertinent and important for today. Why is marriage no longer held in honor between one man and one woman for life, and people are claiming free love. Love is love. Why is homosexuality and sexual sin being paraded in the face of plain teachings against such immoral behavior in the Word of God? Why are we still listening to the arguments and outcry of the misled that say, my body, my rights, and they follow through in murdering the innocent in abortion, but we don't hear the cry of God's Word about the sanctity of life or the cry of the unborn that He fashioned in their womb? How do we still have to deal with matters of race wars, when we are all Adam's race and are of one blood. Jesus died for all to save every soul among men. We are all precious to him. Why do we allow secular humanism to direct our thoughts based on man's reasoning? Why do the heathens of this world remove the Bible, God's wisdom, and prayers, communication with God from schools, while teaching as scientific fact that we all arrived here 
by a big bang and evolution from some lesser organism over millions of years instead of by our loving Creator in six days just as the Book of God reveals. The Ten Commandments are no longer in our courthouses or our hearts for that matter, and these commands are broken every single day. Because we no longer want to be governed by the decrees of God, the name of God is slowly being erased from every place wherein His name once was trusted in. Jesus used to be spoken about openly everywhere, and now we settle for the fact that this is the world that we live in, where he is ranked right next to Buddha, Muhammad, and other erroneous teachers of false belief systems that stand opposed to truth. These are men, and not the only begotten Son of God. And the only time that the name of God or his Son seem to be spoken is when we are using their names in vain. We need to reiterate the words of this psalm and ask similar questions about why the nations are in an uproar. What's with all the chaos in the world? The answers are before us today in this psalm, and we need to pay close attention to this word from God. People in the world that are not taking refuge in Jesus spend all of their days looking for ways to speak out against the way that is right. You may recall from Psalm 1 how the wicked that sat in their seats were scoffers, and we were instructed not to join them. They speak against the ways of the righteous, which are also the ways of God. And some may try to refute the point and say that most people are lovers of God or they love Jesus or know Him. Some would say that as many as 95% of people agree. The simple fact is that while there are many people that claim to love God and His Son, their lives are spent rebelling from the Father's will and the teachings of His Son, Jesus. They strive to live morally good lives apart from coming in humble submission to God and the Savior, and no one can be good apart from His saving grace and abiding spirit that are extended to us through our obedience to the gospel. By not being dedicated to the Lord, we stand in opposition. If we are not with him, he said, we are against him. The mind of man is already at enmity with God, and we don't get to go to heaven and skip out on the service to the one who is reigning on the throne. While a large majority would say they believe in a God and his son Jesus, they are doing no more than the demons that believe and tremble. Our faith is seen by our conduct based on a loyalty to the directives of our King Jesus. The nations are in an uproar because they are against God and against His Messiah. Loyal allegiance is the only way to prove this to be false. Those that live the blessed life do not join the riotous in their murmuring and complaining and cursing and lying and blatant blasphemies against God. Those who are righteous are like David, and they ask the tough questions and find the answers provided here in Psalm 2. Here now David asks a second question, why are the people devising a vain thing? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. But in his conclusion to the question about the purpose of man on earth, he says we must fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man, or man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. There are actually people that sit around scheming for how they can do more evil. At the time of their evil planning, the end result was not anticipated to be in vain. Making such plans would be worthless. The literal rendering of this text is that they meditate on doing a vain thing. Remember that the blessed are those that meditate on the word of God and take great delight in his commands from Psalm 1. The wicked are deep in thought about how they can pursue more wickedness. Psalm 83, verse 3. There we read, They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. David wants to know the answer to these two questions 
as he often does. He lays them before the Lord in song lyrics as in a prayer in the second psalm. This is a heartfelt cry from David who was inspired to write about the sinful world around him and through the eye of faith and divine inspiration, he was able to reveal the saving plan of God in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The harsh reality is that sinners are opposed to Christ and all of their plans will be ineffectual and nothing will save the unsaved if they choose to ignore that Jesus is Lord, the King of Kings, and take refuge in Him. Now we need to switch voices and look at the voice of the ruler and kings of the earth. This is found in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 2. The earthly kings take their stand against the Lord, it says, that is God the Father. And I can't even imagine trying to stand in the presence of God. And yet these are leaders, rulers, kings, princes, and peoples that show by their arrogant rebellion against truth that they have no regard for God's will. They are puffed up, prideful, and pursuing personal pleasures over God. The proper response in the presence of God is to fall on your face first in worship, prostrating ourselves in humility with a reverent spirit. And while it used to be common for leaders to be prayerful, people were humble and Bible-believing, churches zealous for God to reign supreme over their lives, the focus has turned to what pleases the people and will get you the most votes, make you more money, gain you more popularity, and quite pointedly, glorify self instead of honoring God. But don't make this apply only to presidents and governors and other politicians in office, for even you and I can believe in our hearts that we are ruling our own lives and we don't need to surrender to the Lord. We can try to make the world revolve around us while serving our own selfish fleshly desires as well. The text applies to us in such cases. Not only can we turn against the Lord God, but we also become a traitor and enemy of the cross and the Christ who died for us. Those who turn away from him are worse than those who never swore allegiance to him in the first place and never vowed to be faithful and true to God. David emphasizes this by saying that the rulers take worldly counsel together against the Christ. Notice how these rulers work together with worldly counsel, that is, foolishness to God, to conjure up their ideas for how they should rule in this world. Again, we need to make personal application of this truth for how we try to be autonomous and rule our own lives— We have an Antichrist spirit, which often turns into the spirit of the Antichrist, and we overthrow all authority over us. Take responsibility for these areas where you are living in opposition to Christ the King. A group of foolish people, even when working together, can only produce folly. If they do not seek the will of God and follow Christ as the Savior, they will be lost. We need the King of Kings to lead us all back to God. No one comes to the Father but through Him. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4.12, John 14.6. He is the final spokesperson for God, according to Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2. He is the only sacrifice that can remove sins and save our souls. He is the Lamb of God, so stop rebelling against Him. Now we hear the quote from the voices of the rulers and kings of the earth when they say, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. The Father and His beloved Son are viewed as one by the use of the word there, and they have in mind to rule and reign as Father and Son. But the world and its rulers seek to reject their authority completely. They want to be completely independent, but it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps, according to Jeremiah 10, verse 23. We need to be governed by the authority of God, who knows what is best for us as our maker and sustainer. We need the wisdom of God to guide us through this thing called life. And if we could have made it on our own, we wouldn't need the Bible, the inspired revelation of God. We would not have needed the Christ to shed blood and offer forgiveness 
and there would be no use for new mercies each day. Be honest, you can't make it on your own. It's those that sit squirming in their seats as I say these words that are trying to do it all by themselves. You will forever be lost, wandering aimlessly with a God-sized hole in your spirit and a soul that longs for a Savior. This statement made by these sinners can be summarized by saying, we no longer want anything to do with God and His Son, Jesus the Christ. The bands or fetters mentioned here are the same as used in a yoke placed on oxen so that they are driven where the farmer or owner would direct them. The cords are stronger, like rope intertwined, and this would be used to fasten the yoke to the oxen. They wanted to free themselves of this restraint, not realizing that the yoke was a blessing because they were led in the right direction. The fact is that the yoke of the Lord is easy and the burden is light, Matthew eleven twenty nine. His commands are not burdensome, but are actually a gift to us, 1 John 5, verse 3. The world says we want all ties severed and we don't want to be bound to follow any of the divine decrees of God or His Son. We want to be at liberty to do things our own way and no one is going to reign over us. We want to be in charge. The problem is that the government of God and His Christ are the same. And to that government, what we mean by that is His rule, His reign, and His authority, there shall be no end, according to Daniel 2.44 and Isaiah 9 and verse 7. We will be judged by the Lord one day, and His words will determine the outcome of that judgment, according to John 12 and verse 48. There is no condemnation for those in Christ, Romans 8.1. So the benefit of following Him and staying under His leadership is that we will know the joys of one day hearing, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful in a few things. I will set you over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord or Master. Those who refuse the Lord and His Christ as King will never hear these words, but will be turned away to wrath and eternal separation from God, and they will be cast into hell with the devil and his angels. From the time that Jesus was born, they sought to kill Him and put an end to His life. This was their vain plan to keep Him from reigning. He was hunted and had no honor in his own country. He was ridiculed, despised, and rejected, smitten of men and afflicted, beaten, bruised, spat upon, mocked, scorned, whipped, nailed to a cross, humiliated, pierced through, and eventually died by crucifixion. And when he stood before Pilate and was questioned about being a king, he did not deny it, but confirmed it. Pilate found no fault in him, yet the people found a reason to crucify him as a criminal with an inscription above his head that said, "'The King of the Jews.'" The difference was that his kingdom is not of this world. He reigns from heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is enthroned upon our hearts. This meant that even if they tried to kill his physical life, that his reign and rule would not be ended, but actually started by that very death when he was resurrected and exalted to the right hand of God the Father. This leads us to verse 4, where we see the Father on the throne. Here again, we switch voices and see the voice of God the Father in verses 4 through 6. God remains seated in the heavens on his throne in spite of what happens on the earth. He follows through on his plans in spite of the vain plans of people to thwart his efforts, as we saw in Acts chapter 4 and verse 28. When man perishes in wickedness and a controlled anger to be just, the Lord burns in wrath toward the evildoer because it was what they deserve. God's disposition in this psalm says a great deal about his character. He's not shaken to stand and take action. He is not intimidated by the stand taken by kings and rulers of the earth and their foolish counsel. He remains seated on the throne of heaven, unscathed by their scheming. He knows that he is creator of all, and he bows to no one or allows them to have authority over him. He is over all things, and his perfect will is going to be done. 
we are taught to pray and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a matter of fact, the father laughs at and scoffs the scoffers. You can see similar instances of this in Proverbs one twenty six, Psalm 37.13, and Psalm 59.7-9. Yes, God laughs. God even laughs and scoffs back at the sinners in return because one day they are going to have to face their ignorance or in some cases arrogant disregard for the fact that God revealed his perfect will. It is by this will that we are to govern our own lives on this earth, and their day is coming, and they will be punished. There will be no excuses. God commands all men everywhere to repent and to come under his authority. Acts 17, 30 and 31. This is one of the rare occurrences where we learned that God laughs at those who would exalt themselves and think for even a brief moment that they have the right to disobey the Lord. He does not laugh because he finds it funny. He sits in disdain for those who would show little respect for him as the great I am, first and last, beginning and end, creator and everlasting God. And God holds them in derision or in contempt. It is like walking into a courtroom and mocking the judge who is getting ready to pronounce judgment upon you. What a laughable and foolish choice. Now God in anger terrifies them with a pronouncement of Christ as king. To make it clear that there is a king of all kings in heaven and that has supreme rule over all the kings of the earth, God in anger and a fury of wrath informs them that Jesus has been crowned and is reigning over all things. He will reign until the last enemy is destroyed and he makes everyone and everything his footstool. They would be under his feet. He would be enthroned in Zion on the hill of holiness. This is not in the literal city of Jerusalem, as many teach, but in the heavenly Jerusalem, where God and his anointed dwell eternally. Hebrews 12, 22-29. This truth is terrifying to those that think of themselves as the ultimate authority once they realize that they are subject to the Christ. The anointed Messiah of God, in order to approach the holy hill, they would need to cleanse their hands and hearts of their wickedness and come in obedience to the Christ who has been enthroned above. He is the king of the heavenly kingdom, the church, and he is head over all things to that church. Until this becomes clear, we have completely missed the point of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God. Now we switch voices again to the voice of the Son, who is the King and the Messiah, in verses 7 through 9. Jesus tells of the decree of God that he is his begotten Son. God declares to Jesus that he is the beloved and the only begotten son. And we know that his birth was a virgin birth when the Holy Spirit caused Mary to be found with child. This child was to be named Jesus. He would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, and he would save the people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1, 21 to 23. This idea of sonship was often coupled with kingship. This declaration must have been made to Jesus before coming in the flesh, but then it was fulfilled after his incarnation, John chapter 1, 1 through 3, and also John 1, verse 14. We know that the plan of redemption was an eternal one before the world began, according to Ephesians 1, 4 through 12. So in the wisdom of God, he had already appointed and anointed his son to become king. And we hear this message confirmed at his birth, at his baptism on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So when Christ makes statements about being glorified with God the Father like he was before coming to earth, we begin to understand where this decree was first proclaimed that he was to be known as the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah and King of Kings. See Matthew 1.1 and Hebrews 1, 1-5. He is the King of Kings because he is a Son of the Most High, but he is considered the Son of God because he was crowned King through the anointing of God. 
The actual coronation took place following his resurrection and ascension. But in God's plan, he was appointed to take that seat on the throne at God's right hand as an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, 20-22. So Jesus will be granted all the nations from one end of the earth to the other, is what Psalm 2 says. Jesus would be given the nations as an inheritance. These are the same nations, these heathens, that were in the uproar from verse 1. Heathen is the same as Gentile, signifying those that were not Jews. Satan once offered Jesus all the earthly reign on the earth over all the kingdoms of the world, if only he would bow down and worship him. And Jesus replied that you should worship the Lord God and serve him only. That is because he can grant anything as the Heavenly Father, and by inheritance because Jesus was the Son of the Father. And the nations were already his to rule and reign over. This rule was a heavenly rule, and not from an earthly throne. This idea of the nations being in the inheritance speaks to the Great Commission, where the gospel or good news concerning Jesus would be preached in the entire world in hopes that they would not put trusting faith in the world, but in Christ, and be saved by the blood of Jesus. This gospel was to reach the uttermost parts of the earth, and those that never obey the gospel will be destroyed by Jesus when he comes in flaming fire in retribution upon the sinners of the world. This leads us to then, Jesus will destroy the enemies of God like clay pots with his rod of iron. That's what the psalm says next. Jesus will rule the enemies of God, and since they chose not to submit to the Son of God, he will break them. The rod is represented by the words of his mouth, which we are told will judge us in Isaiah 11.4 and John 12.48. But in Revelation 19.15, we learn how this is ultimately fulfilled. It says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. On Judgment Day, there is no escaping the striking words from his mouth and his ruling with a rod of iron. He will be the judge on that day by God's divine appointment and is confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus, Acts 17, 30 and 31. Under his rod of iron with the government on his shoulders, he will crush them like brittle clay pots, Isaiah 9, verse 6. It will not be a pleasant day, to say the least, for those that fall under the wrath of God. We are but earthen vessels made from dust or clay, and to the dust we shall return. Our only hope is that the Spirit which God has made to dwell in us will be influenced by His Holy Spirit through the teaching of the Word of God, and we can be saved from the wrath to come. This leads us to our final point, where we hear directly from the Holy Spirit five words of advice to find salvation instead of eternal damnation. The voice of the Holy Spirit is found in verses 10 through 12 of Psalm 2. And the first thing he says, show discernment. Use wisdom and discretion, you kings and rulers of the earth. Act like you know the difference between right and wrong. Don't just have wisdom, but use it by demonstrating it through obedience to the Son of God. Secondly, he says, take warning. Hear the warning. This is the first step to making a change. Hearing is sometimes the hardest part. Most people turn their ears off before ever allowing the truth of Jesus to have an impact on their hearts. Take the warning, though. Don't just hear it. Just like they took their stand and took counsel together against the Lord and against His Christ, here they are admonished by the Holy Spirit to take the warning. There will be no other prophet. There will be no new Messiah, no voice from heaven. In these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. This is the last call. Are you in Christ or are you outside of him? Next, the Holy Spirit says, worship with reverence. We need to show obedience to the Son and to the Father with godly fear and awe. 
To worship is to humble yourself, showing that you recognize the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as worthy of praise. And those that spend their days worshiping their own appetites and have no regard for God in worship are not living to honor Him or His Son through a life of humble service and adoration. Praise for God is born out of pure respect for Him. Which leads us to the next phrase from the Holy Spirit, and that is rejoice with trembling. Rejoicing in the Lord is important, but again we do it with respect. Trembling is often substituted with the word fear, and this fear is backed by a spiritual understanding that God is awesome, and we are not worthy to approach His throne. He invites us to come boldly to His throne in Christ, but we also come in the spirit of reverence, recognizing that we are approaching the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Our rejoicing is an expression of joy that God has smiled on us. So the Spirit then commands, Do homage to Christ. Another rendering of this text is, Kiss the Son. It was not uncommon when a foreign king lost his battle with another king that he would kiss him on the face, on his garments, or his feet to show that he surrendered completely and accepted that he was in submission to him. It was also a sign of acknowledgement of surrender and loyalty to that king. And we surrender to Christ and kiss him, not as in the case of Judas where he was being deceitful and betraying the Lord, but in a kiss that shows genuine love for the Lord and total surrender. We will either kiss the Christ Jesus as Lord and King of Kings, or we will be found kissing false gods, as in 1 Samuel 10, 1, 1 Kings 19, 18, Hosea 13, 2, and Job 31, 27. To do homage is to show special honor and respect. Just as we adore God, we show the same respect to the Son of God, whom He has appointed and anointed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The other option is to have the Son become angry with you and you perish. But God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But those that reject the Christ have no other hope for salvation, and they will be lost. Here the Spirit reminds us that his wrath may soon be kindled. And while the Lord is slow to anger and his loving kindness is immense, there does come a time when he will no longer tolerate a rebellious and sinful people. Consider any delay as the long-suffering and patience of God toward you. And then finally, we hear these words, Blessed are they who take refuge in Him. When one acknowledges Jesus as King of Kings, the Son of God, the Messiah, they will find rest and peace in Him as in the Father. Have you taken refuge in Him? Blessed are those that take refuge in Him. Again, we can either take a stand against God and take counsel with others against Christ, or we can humble ourselves and find solace in Him. The choice is yours today. If you have never kissed the Son in sweet surrender, today could be the day that you make Him Lord of your life and ruler of your heart and Savior of your soul. If you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to turn from your sins in repentance, confess His Lordship, and be baptized in His name, you can have your sins forgiven and start a brand new walk with Him. I would love to get you connected with an area church that teaches the truth regarding this, and they can assist you in obedience to the gospel. If you're in the area and you would love for me to help you, please reach out and let me know. Come and find rest for your souls. If you are already in Christ, but you have lost your way or you're struggling spiritually to remain committed to the King, you need encouragement from your brothers and sisters. We want to pray for you. We'll go to the throne with your request as you speak out and let us know what your needs might be. God will forgive you. He will strengthen you, and He will uphold you. The heathens of the nations surrounding us will continue to make noise, and they will continue to downplay the importance of serving Jesus and honoring God, but we must give Him all the glory, all the honor, 
and all the praise in spite of what the world around us decides to do with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus today? Please reach out if you have a spiritual need. Thank you for listening. Have you visited the Netcast podcast store yet? This is going to provide you with a place to get your Netcast merch. At the same time, you will be supporting the Netcast podcast with a portion of your purchase and securing an opportunity to talk about the faith that we share together on this podcast. Click the shop link to learn more at netcasthost.com forward slash shop. Thank you for your support in advance. In season six, titled Psalms of Life, I have a special offer that is connected with a series in the book of Psalms. If you partner with Netcast during our sixth season, I want to send you the complete outline for the studies, but I will also be including the supplemental PowerPoint slideshows to guide you in your study. If you want to become a partner or make a donation, you can send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. I have also added this podcast to buymeacoffee.com forward slash netcasthost where you can send a small gift of any amount to help support the show. Thank you in advance. If you are not able to support this ministry effort financially at this time, would you please consider doing one of the following? First, please subscribe and continue to be a dedicated listener. Next, please share Netcast with your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe. Finally, consider leaving a review for the podcast so that your positive feedback could encourage others to listen. Take a few moments after we sign off today to visit our website at netcasthost.com. Here you will find transcripts of the podcast on the blog. You can sign up for the free newsletter, become a member, and join Netcast for free, which will give you access to hidden portions of the podcast host site like our members forum and so much more. Don't forget to check out our social media sites on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to like and follow the podcast as we use these sites to keep you current on what is happening at Netcast. Every new episode is announced on these media outlets. Until next time, God bless you richly in Jesus Christ, our Lord.